It's Sunday morning. Time for the great outdoors with Charlie Potter. Brought to you by the all-new Chevy Silverado and ChevyDriveChicago.com on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Good morning. Welcome to the Great Outdoors Show. Charlie Potter, your host here on WGN Radio. Thank you so much for joining me this morning. And as I talk to you this morning, I'm watching a video taken in the very early days of cinematography of two ivory-billed woodpeckers on a tree in Florida. These two ivory-billed woodpecker specimens, or ivory-billed woodpeckers, are now specimens of an endangered species that has been determined to be extinct. So let me back you up for a second to 2005. It's April 2005. And after having believed the ivory-billed woodpecker was, in fact, extinct, for over 70 years, but it was on the endangered species list because it had not been confirmed to be extinct. In Arkansas, in the White River Valley, a group of scientists believed that they had recorded the ivory-billed woodpecker and that they had definitive proof that the ivory-billed woodpecker, in fact, was not extinct after all. That was April, April 28th, in fact, when the story broke in the Chicago Tribune. It it shook the conservation community in a remarkable way, in a positive direction to think that there was indeed hope that the bird that was called the oh my God bird, because it was so majestic and its sound in fact, was not extinct. There had been, according to scientists from the Fish and Wildlife Service, seven firm sightings of the bird in central Arkansas in 2005. And it capped more than a 60-year search for the bird, with most people having thought it was extinct. It was the bird of American legend. It was in the big bottomland forest of North America, in numbers that probably were never great, but certainly abundant. But as as those hardwood bottomland forests were completely logged out over the 20th century, the ivory-billed woodpecker simply had no place to live, and it went extinct, or so we believed, until 2005. Let me take you fast forward now to this week. In fact, this Wednesday, this Wednesday, it was announced, this past Wednesday, it was announced that by the Fish and Wildlife Service that, in fact, the ivory-billed woodpecker is extinct. Fish and Wildlife Service said that after tens and tens of millions of dollars in looking for the ivory-billed woodpecker to confirm the sightings of 2005 and tens of millions of dollars in acquiring 
ivory billed woodpecker habitat in the bottomlands of the White River and the Cache River in Arkansas that they had given up. That, quote unquote, the ivory billed woodpecker is gone forever. There's a real sadness in my voice this morning. And I'm sure in many of yours and in people who wanted to have hope against all hope that indeed this magical bird somewhere did exist. It it truly is a blow, not only to the efforts to find it, but it's a blow to, to the realization that it's not there. And, and more importantly, many feel it's taking it off the endangered species list and putting it on the extinct species list will mean that much of the funding that was going to try to find and then if it, it did indeed exist, save the habitat of the ivory-billed woodpecker is going to come to an end. Because if it's not an endangered species, then the special efforts that are made to try to secure its habitat are no longer warranted. So it's a it's a sad realization. I, for one, when this was announced in 2005, I was skeptical. I was on the air then. I don't happen to have my shows from that period of time, but I remember being skeptical, but also being truly hopeful. Some of the top scientists in the in the country believed it was possible that there had been enough recordings and potential sightings that indeed this bird species might still exist. So here we are some 26 years later and, uh, excuse me, some 16 years later, and uh, it's officially extinct. That's the story of the ivory-billed woodpecker. So many species have gone extinct, but few, few of the magnificence of the ivory-billed woodpecker, the drawings of John James Audubon and others depicted this absolutely magnificent bird. Um, They'll remain that, just drawings. The only thing that remains from them are the few samples that exist in zoos, not in zoos, but in museums around the country. Sad to say, but the game is over for the ivory-billed woodpecker, according to the Fish and Wildlife Service. And as I say that, of course, on the other hand, there are individuals who are saying, don't give up so fast. There might still be ivory-billed woodpeckers somewhere in Cuba. Cuba has the kind of habitat that could support ivory-billed woodpeckers, but we we don't have any idea because we don't have the kind of connections and relationships in Cuba that could enable us to say they're definitively there or not. I have this feeling, and maybe many of you do, if the ivory-billed woodpecker existed in Cuba, we would probably know about it. There have been enough people in and out of Cuba who would say, no, they're there. And and particularly since Cuba didn't fall to the early 60s, prior to the early 60s, we believe that they were extinct. We would have known it as well. So hope reigns eternal. But I think that the curtain has closed on the ivory-billed woodpecker, and that's that's too bad, very much too bad. But on the positive side, we did use the energy around the ivory-billed woodpecker and its possible existence to secure thousands of acres of riparian and river bottom hardwood lands in the Cache and White Rivers of Arkansas, 
lands that are vitally important to migratory birds, especially migratory ducks. So the effort to save the ivory bill, once it was thought to, to exist by buying up all kinds of habitat, was multi-purpose. And it will help us in the future provide habitat as it is today for birds that were one point uh, not protected. Their habitat wasn't protected. And a couple of minutes before I go to break, I want to switch to as long as I'm talking about things in peril. And this is not supposed to be a downer program, folks. That's not what I'm doing this morning. Not at all. But um, I do want to talk for a moment before I go to hopefully talking about some things that are much more cheerful. I do want to just mention that on the brink of extinction could be the sockeye salmon of Idaho. Uh, it's estimated that well over 150 sockeye salmon as recently as 80 years ago made the 900-mile trip from the ocean, the Pacific Ocean, to two small lakes up in the mountains. It's 900 miles. It's the longest andronomous fish run in the world. The Redfish Lake, named Redfish because of the, spot, the, the spawning sockeye salmon, Pettit Lake, and other lakes. An estimated 150 sockeye, 1,000 sockeye or more 80 years ago. This year, 43 sockeye salmon have made that 900-mile trip, the lowest level recorded, 43. Other fish were taken earlier in the year on their way up through the Columbia and in the Snake River, and they were lifted above Lower Granite Dam on the Snake River in Washington to hatcheries in Idaho so they could, in fact, have their eggs milked and their progeny would have a chance of surviving. One thing that happened this year in the West because of the overly warm temperatures and the very, very low drought and the very, very low water levels is the rivers reached water temperatures that would kill trout and salmon. And the rivers were so low that often there were not currents around the dams to, um, to enable the fish to even survive. So the effort was made, an emergency effort to airlift fish up to the hatcheries. And hopefully, um, hopefully that will provide some of the wild stock, which will be released back into, um, the rivers in the spring to move their way back to the sea. But just to talk about what it's like, if you think about this, over 700,000 sockeye salmon young were released in Idaho in 2017. Of those 730,000 fish fry, all that have come back after being in the ocean is the pathetically low number of 43 this year. 700,000 plus eggs hatched, fries, reared, released back into the rivers. 43 made it back. Lots of trouble ahead for the sockeye salmon in Idaho. Now, there are lots of sockeye salmon elsewhere in the Pacific, but all these strains are individuals. So we will uh, keep it tabs on that story. I'll be back in just a moment with much more on the Great Outdoors show. I'm going to talk about a really interesting effort underway um, regarding an effort that could help birds. 
You're listening to the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN. This is Charlie Potter, your host. And first, a message from our longtime sponsors, Northwest Indiana and Chicagoland Chevrolet dealers. In the field, hunters need to be alert, sense the environment around them and know exactly where they are, communicate seamlessly with their dogs. And when it comes to pickup trucks, you want the same qualities. The all-new Chevy Silverado comes with an available 4G Wi-Fi hotspot for seamless communication. It's designed to handle the toughest loads with advanced trailering technology, tough on the road and off. And the all-new design gives you more cargo space than the competition. Chevy Silverado is the most dependable, longest-lasting, full-size pickup on the road. Plus, there's never been a better time to see your local Chevy dealer about the Big Fix lease. It's an amazing lease deal that can lower your monthly payments and give you more Chevy, all for less money. That's a treasure hunt. So head to your Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana Chevy dealer or go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and see why Chevy is the number one best-selling brand in Chicagoland, now eight years running. It's Charlie Potter and the Great Outdoors on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. Welcome back to the Great Outdoors show and from the sad story of this extinction, official extinction listing now of the ivory-billed woodpecker and the, the shockingly low number of, of salmon coming into the Snake River in Idaho. I'm going to move to a much happier, much happier subject. Last week, I did a show on my experiences in Alaska, and a number of you have contacted me and said, how could you possibly have that kind of fishing, and where do I go to get it? And I can tell you that the the silver the, the silver salmon or coho run in Alaska is prodigious. It's absolutely phenomenal, as I told you last week, and it's not uncommon to catch thirty or more silvers in a day per person that's landing if you're in the right spot. So truly, the last bastion of great, really great salmon fishing is indeed the Bristol Bay area and down the Aleutian coast of Alaska. And that's true for kings. It's true for sockeyes. This past year, I believe I'm correct, that the largest sockeye salmon run in recorded history was this past year. That's amazing in Alaska. So while we have really horrific problems in the lower 48 on the West Coast, California is about out of business. The Sacramento River was a huge river for, for runs of king salmon. Uh, they're in serious trouble. The whole basin around the Columbia River is in big trouble. Uh, Alaska is indeed the last great frontier with, with salmon numbers that are, are just spectacular. Uh, something else is kind of spectacular, at least for those of us who look forward to fall is that this past weekend, waterfowl seasons opened across much of the United States. And this weekend, this coming, well, yesterday, in fact, uh, a number of other seasons opened. It's the coming ritual that so many of us, millions of us, look forward to, to go out, share a sunrise with friends, watch birds wing their way southward, whether we're hunting or not, to see cranes and swans. And yes, in Illinois now, Sandhill cranes are truly common. 30 years ago, you would have stopped your car if you thought you saw a sandhill crane in the sky, and you probably would have said, I don't know what that is. 
Now they're very common. It's, it's a fabulous recovery story. And when I think about cranes, I can't help but think about George Archibald and the International Crane Foundation up in Baraboo, Wisconsin, who have done such an incredible job of bringing the whooping crane back from from near extinction. So we talk about the loss of the ivory-billed woodpecker, and if only we'd had a few that had made it to modern times, we probably could have done for the ivory bill what we have done for the whooping crane, which is enable them to be raised in captivity and released to the wild and fly now on a wild migration. It's, it's an incredibly great success story of, of conservation. So when you're out this fall and you see skeins of geese or you see flocks of blackbirds or you see flights of cranes flying in the thermals, or you stand on the lake shore and you just watch birds go by, whether they be ducks or warblers or whatever they might be. It's so many of those species have indeed come back from a, a really low population level, but, but probably not many more so than sandhill cranes for which hunting was forbidden for, for decades, in fact, most of, most of our lifetimes. And now they're, plenty of sandhill cranes that hunting is practiced across many states in the United States and down into Mexico. It's a, it's a huge success story. And I can tell you having hunted sandhill cranes, if there's a finer table fare bird, uh, I have yet to, to eat it. They are the tenderloin of the, of the sky, as they're called. And they are fantastic and they are hard to hunt and they are very wary. But I can also tell you, if you're going to hunt sandhill cranes and you get a permit to do so, or you hunt in a state where permits aren't required, you're not going to be using your dog because a sandhill crane that is not killed upon being shot will absolutely take out the eyes of your dog and, and others and other parts of it. So it is great to see these species that have made such a recovery. Hunting seasons in Illinois will be opening soon. In Wisconsin, they're already opening, have opened. And fall is underway, and it's that time of the year when I say every year, there's just, just not enough time. There are not enough days in September and October and November to do all the things you want to do in the outdoors in fall. And we're in the beginning of it. We've had an incredibly beautiful run of weather here. But that doesn't mean the birds aren't on the move. They move on the moon. They move on the sun. They do move on the weather. But the early migrants, the teal and the pintail and so many of the songbirds that, that are migrating, they move on daylight hours and they move on the moon. So it could be 90 degrees here in Chicago and the morning doves are still going to be gone. And speaking of morning doves, what a year it's been in so many places. We finally had outstanding breeding conditions in much of the Midwest because we were not so wet and cold in the spring and the doves, as we hoped they would, responded in many areas magnificently. There's still other areas where population levels are not what they, they should be or used to be. But this year indicates if we do get some of the right weather, doves can respond, and, and they did indeed. So enjoy the coming week in the outdoors. I thank you so much for listening. This is Charlie Potter on the Outdoor Voice of Chicago and America, 720 WGN.